computer. All right. Um, last week we talked about um, canon, what is canon, and we looked at uh, the historical audience and all that stuff from from last week or whatnot. Uh, looked at the, the term Bible, um, looked at Tanakh and all that stuff. So I got a, of course, I have a few questions. Um, I was just thinking we escaped the pop quiz. This oh, week. no, never that. Actually, I wasn't going to do a pop quiz, but I was <laughs> like, no, it wouldn't be right if I didn't. So uh, I got a pop quiz for you all. Let me share. All right. Here's my screen here. All right, let's see here before I do my quiz. See, Miss Bobby came on. All right, Miss Bobby. Hope you had a good day, Miss Bobby. Uh, I know Miss Bobby would know who T.I. is, but I'm not going. I digress. Who is T.I., Bobby? My biggest challenge was getting on Zoom today, so. <laughs> you what? My biggest challenge was getting on this thing today, so I'm doing very well. <laughs> Do you know who T.I. is? That's the question of the day, Miss Bobby. Do you know who T.I. is? She probably is. Who's T.I.? Oh, oh, no. oh. Hey. Hey, hey. I bet you if you sing a snippet of his music, she knows it. <laughs> <laughs> right she probably wouldn't know that but okay all right <laughs> let's continue um all right so here is let's see the quiz for today so lesson quiz let's see here what is the bible according to uh what we talked about last week what is the bible It's a not collection of, a collection of um, historical writings. Yes. That were, uh, yeah, assembled. <laughs> That's right. A collection of historical writings, or you could say the scriptures. Yep. Um, it just allows us to know that we're not dealing with one book, but with many books. Yep. A collection. Good. Um, let's see here. How many Old Testament books are there in the Protestant canon? See, that's why you have to answer the first question. Because <laughs> if you don't know the second one, you're cool. Right. How many Old Testament books are in the Protestant canon? 39. 39. Protestant canon, remember, is our Bible. So I said Protestant to throw you guys out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Protestant is our Bible. So we have 39 books in our Old Testament. Yep, 39. So who are the two authors or two types of authors in scripture? God. Okay. And who else? Or two types? Human authors inspired by God. Human, yep. So you got the divine author, which is God, and human authors, right? Those who were inspired by God. Tracy, you ain't doing too bad. You're doing all right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> all 
All right, let's see here. And let's see, I think there's one, oh, one more question. Who are the three historical audiences of the Bible? Mm-hmm. The three historical audiences for 500 points. The world. The world is one. Yes. It is. Say it the again. Hebrews. The Hebrews are the Israelites. Yep. Yep. And one more. The church. The church. Good job. Good job. Y'all work together on that one. <laughs> that's right the world israel and the church good job everybody see that wasn't too bad that wasn't too bad of a quiz so all right so this is what we're going to be talking about this week uh well today um the formation of the old testament canon we're going to discuss the crisis of the exile we're going to talk about the growth of the canon how it came, it came about and we're going to discuss canonical and deuterocanonical books. Um, last week, I, I mean to take this out because I think I explained it last week about the uh, Catholic and Protestant and rabbinic Old Testament canon. That's that chart that I gave last week, but I jumped the gun last week. But we're going I'm going to show it again this week. So, um, yeah, so that's what we're doing this week. All right, so we're going to look at this quick video. It's like three minutes long. I thought it was really good. Um, hopefully you guys can able to hear it because I don't know. I, I, I did something weird, so we'll see what happens here. Let's see. So this is Kay Arthur. She's a, um, a Christian writer. She writes really good books or whatnot, and she was talking about um, her view of did the, um, the writers of the Bible, did they know that they were writing the Bible? Okay, so I'm going to see if you guys can hear it or not, prayerfully. Can you all hear it or no? No, I can't. Okay, hold on. Let me do something else then. Hold on. Um, let me do this. All right, can screen share stop because of, okay. So you guys can see me, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, let me share. Okay. So you see um, my screen? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. So let me do that then. Play, not play on TV. Um, We know that they can you guys hear it now? But we know yes. that yeah. they knew that God was speaking to them. We know that they were told, you know, what God uh like God was going to take them home and that they wanted I'm I'm gonna take Peter as an example, okay, if you don't mind. So uh Peter knows that he's going to die. He's writing Second Peter, and when you when you go through, um, you know, and you mark the key repeated words, which help you understand the text. He's saying, uh, "I want you to be able to call these things to mind. I want to remind you of these things." So he says, um, 
I will be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by uh, way of reminder. And then he says, you know, I'm going to die. And that's why I'm telling you these things. God has shown me that I'm going to die. So then, uh, as he as he writes in, in 1 Peter, he says this, and this just tickled me about, about these men. Because in 2 Peter, he tells them, uh, the word of God is not of one's own devising. It's not one's private interpretation. But holy men of God, moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote those things that God, uh, he doesn't use breathe, he uses it in Second Timothy, Paul uses it, but they wrote the words that God moved them to write. Now, in First Peter, and this is what I'm just, I don't know why, but it just, some, that's what's so good about the word, you always learn something new. But listen to what he says in verse 10 of First Peter, he's talking about the salvation, talking about the salvation of our souls. In verse 10, he says, as to this salvation, the prophets, Old Testament, who prophesied of the grace that would come, made, come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ, and when they say Christ, they're saying Messiah, within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So these prophets understood that they were writing about Christ, but they didn't know, you know, when, when are these sufferings going to happen? When is this going to do? And it says it was revealed to them to these Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So they knew they were writing. They didn't know when it was going to happen. They didn't exactly have the details. The concept of it's writing. You just write it. You're writing it for someone else. And you just write it. And so they knew they were writing it down. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And to think that you and I are sitting here at this time in history and able to go back and to understand how this world got to be here. So I wanted to just to throw another um, viewpoint out there. Um, just to see what you all think of her statement as far as um, them knowing that they were writing something or writing some type of scripture or uh, just writing in general. What do you all think of, think of that? If they're being led by God, then... I would believe that God would have led them to of some understanding of to the importance of their writings. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? They knew that 
as she said, it would be important to future generations right. that these things were preserved, this knowledge was captured, which is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. Anybody else want to put their input? All right, cool. Yep. So I just kind of um, just threw that viewpoint in there just to just to see just to spark conversation of what you all think as far as um, God inspiring man to write. And then when you look now, um, since we're building up this this case of, of the Bible or whatnot, um, we understand now like when when someone asked that question of um, did the writers know they were writing the Bible? You have to ask yourself, well, what Bible are you referring to? Um, they weren't really aware of the term Bible. Like we talked about last week, that term didn't come into play until like the 13th century. Um, and so there are, um, we're assuming that, you know, they, when you say that they know they were writing the Bible, does it, it sounds like, well, did they get together? The authors get together and decide to write this book or whatnot. Um, so when you say, you know, did the authors knew, then you have to look at, well, what author are you talking about? You know, so we just talked about the difference between human and divine author. Divine author knew exactly what he was doing. God knew exactly what he was doing. But the, um, the, human, the human author, um, did not know the full picture, the full scope of what was going on. They, he just, they just knew that they, that God is telling them to write something or event is going on and they were inspired to write about it or whatnot. Did they know they were writing holy scriptures or did they know that they were writing, um, what we have today as the Bible? More than likely they did not, but they knew they were writing something important but they didn't know that it will be what we have today. So I just thought that was a really interesting kind of viewpoint, um, something to just to chit chat about or whatnot. I think even Paul, Paul knew clearly that his epistles would be handed around as key teachings for the church, but did he figure it would be part of a canon of biblical texts? Right. That's the story altogether but I'm, he, he at least knew he was writing a collection of something that would be passed around somewhere. I, um, when, you, when you do research, um, you know, Paul, he was just answering questions. Mm -hmm. uh, the churches, what they had or whatnot. So I don't think that he knew that, you know, it would be something that was passed on, but um, he knew that he was, you know, answering some really heavy things and some things that maybe they will um, face even in the future or whatnot. Like you mm -hmm. said, yeah, he didn't know that his books, his um, letters would be all of a sudden an epistle, epistle, and it's like the the most important actually part of the church. He didn't know that it would, you know, be as important as like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yep. So, um, so what appears to be a simple question of, you know, did, did they know they're writing the Bible? It's not really a simple question. So mostly when we're talking about certain subjects in church, uh, we're not talking about the, the same thing because, 
you know, words have different, different meanings. So we need to make sure, you know, when we're talking about the Bible that we're um, looking at the same Bible or talking about the same thing, make sure we're measuring apples with apples or whatnot. So um, we have to make sure that when we're discussing topics like this or anything like that, that, um, that we know the principles and the concepts of, of what is being, what is being taught. So um, I think we talked about last week how um, in our canon of or our English translation that there are words in the Bible in our in our copy that is different from the original copy because of um, language. You know, there are words in Hebrew um, that we don't have in English. And so that kind of throws us off a little bit when we're look, when we're reading scripture. And I took the example of the word love and how there are so many different words for love, but we just have the word love, you know? And so um, that's also something to be, to be mindful of when you're, when you're studying the Bible or whatnot. So uh, when, when David said, you know, I will um, hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What he means is that um, David, he will hide God's precepts and concepts. So, it's not, it's not, I want to say this real carefully. It's not important to quote scriptures, but to know the concepts and, um, and the precepts of the word, because the translation that we have is a little different from the original translation. I hope that makes sense as far as like what I'm saying, like the so, so when David says, I hide the word, he's saying, I'm hiding the concepts, the precepts, the understandings of God's word in my heart. And we ask. Well, I have a question about that. Yeah, go ahead. So, but isn't it important to know scripture because even Jesus said it is written? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's important. I'm saying it's not important to always quote it but to understand what is saying you know what i'm saying what the word is saying if that makes sense because okay. we often quote scriptures but we don't have an understanding of what it's talking about does that make I, sense i understand tammy's question because when you think about spiritual warfare sometimes mm -hmm. there's nothing more powerful than being able to come right correct yeah so i'm not saying don't yeah. quote scriptures i'm saying know the concept behind Amen. it know what the word is saying the because context you, yeah the context of the of the scripture because you can you can like what tracy said with spiritual warfare you can be in spiritual warfare and quote a scripture but it could be the wrong scripture to quote because it meant something else mm -hmm. so that's what I'm saying, not get hung up on just quoting scriptures, but understand the concept, the precepts, the, the, con uh, the precepts of the scripture. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I knew so I knew. Go ahead. We, we had an issue at the church on Sunday with a certain lady, mm -hmm. and she quoted a lot of scriptures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but she missed the the preset or what it really meant or what it was she missed a lot and i've actually kind of quoted what you just stated before and i've said it in church going i had to go from sitting at home memorizing a bunch of scriptures wow. to 
now that you memorize them, boy, what are you, what do they even mean? Right. Well, so yeah. I had to, yeah, I had to change my study habits to where now, yeah, somebody could probably quote a billion scriptures, but out of me quoting a billion of them, I can really, really tell you what a lot of them mean now, because I went beyond just studying, you know, Psalm 23 says, you know, not Psalm 23 says, and then let me give you some explanation behind it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I understood. I understand what Tammy was saying, and I understand what you were saying, Mr. Bird, especially when David is saying, that word have I hid in thy heart. It was just more mm -hmm. than just, oh, I can quote a scripture. You know what I mean? Like he was actually learning what he had from God's precepts at that moment. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So that's what I was trying. I knew when I said it, I was going to say it wrong. <laughs> but just got to get clarity. <laughs> right. 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 So, yeah. So we have to understand you quote stuff you have to understand what you're quoting mm -hmm. yeah because the you have to remember the enemy knows the word too and so mm -hmm. you can quote something and that means totally and of no effect with no power no effect no you just sitting there time. quoting and the enemy's like okay what is that yeah mm -hmm. so yeah just knowing what you're what you're saying or whatnot so all right cool beans let's see here yes so let's go back here. And when you know it, you'll quote it right. You'll quote it right. Yep. You will Just, quote I mean, for instance, they used to, when I was young, they told us not to play with marbles. <laughs> right, I want to hear this. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Bible. <laughs> yeah, they thought the Bible said marble not. And I'm like, whoa, you know what I mean? So. When you study, you will know, like, no, it said marble knot. Wait a minute. We couldn't play marbles. We were scared because some people and that people are country. Listen, but and people are country. Like, they used to say, because my grandmother was country, she used to say, baby, you can't be no prospective person. And, and I was quoting that. God ain't no prospector of person. And one day somebody was like, wait, what? Exactly. <laughs> what? Exactly. But had I, had I hid God's word in my heart, studied, learned, studied, learned it, I would have knew. Approved. He, exactly. He ain't said nothing about no prospector. First of all, what's a prospector? <laughs> so, all right. I'm just oh, my gosh. That. That is an example there of oral tradition, like I talked about last week, about how you just, actually that's like an ideological oral tradition where you just hear, when you hear things, you just quote it, and you think it's right or whatnot, or whatnot, and yeah, you end up not playing with marbles and having a rough childhood because you were... <laughs> You were told not to play with marbles. Uh. Marble not. Amen. But we thank hey, God. Can I chime in? Can I chime in one second? Well, we we uh, <laughs> we thank God for deliverance and <laughs> for us reading like, for ourselves. Rightly can dividing the word second. of truth. Can, can I chime in one second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know, and I know, Pastor, remember this one. May the Lord add a blessing 
to the readers <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, the, and the listeners yeah. and the readers. Yeah. Yep. Like, well, why are we adding a blessing to, to, to the world? Yeah. Like, what, what's going on here? Yeah. So, yeah, 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 well, yeah. We, and we told us that. And we said yep. it every Sunday. Yep, yep. And you have to say it after you read scripture. Yeah, it has to be the clothing of, of every scripture. <laughs> well, while we are the blessing to the word is already blessed. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that tradition thing that's passed down <laughs> throughout years. And you, and, you, and you never ask questions about it or whatnot. So, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's get back here. That's funny. Hilarious. All right, so we watched that video. All right, so um, like we talked about last week, um, uh, we learned that Moses was one of the first authors of the first five books of the author of the Bible. Uh, so we're going to uh, delve in a little deeper to see that Moses was not the first first author. The first writer of Scripture may have been God Himself. Um, one of the earliest mentions of the written revelation of Scripture was when the finger of God etched the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. So you see here in Exodus, it says, when he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. I'm about to quicken. I'm about to quicken. <laughs> oh, my God. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, but it is, it is a deep thing to think about. Um, yeah. Yeah, that the first scripture was written by God and it was written on finger. And yes, Lord. Moses and himself himself, he got mad at the people and threw it down. Yeah. And Mo, you know, God told him to get back up here and you write it yourself. So uh and Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tape tablets, uh, which were written on both sides, and they were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work and the writings were God's writing engraved on the tablets. So God wrote that first. And then crazy old Moses broke it, as we know. And he had, yeah, I, wouldn't write, I wouldn't write it again either. I would have told him to write it yourself too. So, yeah. All right, let's see here. I think I lost. All right, cool. So, um, let's see here. And so God himself um, seems to have been one of the first human authors of scriptures, as far as we could determine. Um, Moses was the first human author. So if Moses was the uh, first human author of the Bible, and he did not appear until Exodus, then how did he write Genesis? That's the question. Um, so um, this is how we're going to go deeper. So um, during the exile, Moses had to deal with the mumblings of the Israelites. And so God told him to write these things down. Um, so that's, um, he, he's, he was um, answering three questions that the Israelites kept asking. So here's the first question. Why should we follow Moses? Why should we follow you, Moses? And why do we have to leave our home of, it, of Egypt? And why sh should we go into the promised land? And so the Lord had to explain to the Israelites the plan of salvation by going back to the beginning of time. 
So this is the reason why the Pentateuch or the Torah or the law was written is to answer these three questions. So um, when you're reading the first five books of the Bible, well, when I, I, I advise you, when you're reading the first five books of the Bible, to keep these three questions in mind. So that's why when I was talking about last week how, or the week before, how the Bible seems like it's not really telling all of history or what's going on on earth and things like that, because in the first five, first five books of the Bible, it was answering these three questions. So he was telling a story to, to Israel to kind of soothe their doubts on, you know, what was going on and just trust this process. And this is what God was planning from the beginning of time and things like that. So those are the three questions that Moses was answering while writing Genesis and through Deuteronomy, okay? Um, let's see here. Here are some facts about the Old Testament. Um, as you know, I'm not going to go through every book uh, in this class um, as far as like breaking it down and looking at each book, but I'm just going to give you kind of an overview. So the, the Old Testament covers from Genesis to Malachi, and it covers over 4,000 years of history. It took 1,500 years to write, uh, to write the Old Testament. And three genres that make up the Old Testament. You see history, you see poetry, and you see um, prophecy. The Old Testament was originally written 98% Hebrew and 2% in Aramaic. Um, the books that were written in Aramaic is Esther and Daniel. In the Protestant Bible, like we said earlier, you have 39 Old Testament books. But in the Catholic Bible, there are 46 Old Testament books. And we're going to look at that list again later on to compare. And we're going to talk about um, some of those books as well. Okay. So um, this is in your Dropbox under Lesson 4, this chart here. This chart um, breaks down the Old Testament in the three genres that I mentioned. You see the red is history. Um, you got poetry and you got prophecy. Um, I know when I was growing up, I only read a few books of the Old Testament. I read, you know, part of Psalms. Um, we read the stories in Daniel. We read probably the first, you know, six or seven chapters of Genesis. Um, we may read the first chapter in Samuel. and kind of read a little bit of Ecclesiastes, you know, um, but it wasn't uh, like no one, I know from my experience, no one ever sat down and said, hey, this is how the, the Old Testament is broken up. And this is how you should look at the Old Testament or whatnot. So you see um, there are different events in orange that happen throughout the Old Testament. Um, the creation, fall, flood, you got all that. You got the united and divided kingdom. You got the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Um, so there are a lot of um, activities that took place um, in the Old Testament. So this is a really handy chart um, to have. And I'm going to be referring back to this chart a lot. And it's in, your, um, in the Dropbox under week four. Okay. Um, let's see here. The plus um, for studying the Old Testament is that you have more data for God. Um, you get the chance to see the pattern of God 
um, what was pleasing to God um, more than you would um, just reading the, the New Testament. And um, when I started this class in the beginning, the first class, we talked about the progressive nature of God. And we talked about how um, God reveals himself through dispensations. And um, so now when you're, when you're reading the, the Bible, you can, through the charts that I've given you, you can see like how God handled a certain group of people based on the knowledge or based on information that he gave them or whatnot. So he held them um, accountable for how much was given or whatnot. So um, these charts that I'm giving you are really going to, to come in handy, okay? Um, so how did we get the Old Testament we have today? Some Christian books um, have 81 books in their canon. So over 45 million Christians use that book today. It is just in the United States, the Christians, you know, I'm, I'm, remember I'm using that term loosely. So the Christians in the United States, they, we only have 66 books where there are Christians outside of the United States have 81 books. So, um, so the process, how we got the, the Bible is very much a human process. And now we see it through evidence when we're talking about different canons and things like that. So we can't ignore the fact that there are other books out there. Um, later on in this teaching, I'm going to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which were written during Jesus' time, and they were just found in 1947 um, in a cave. So, and um, you can see some of those scriptures referenced in the canon that we have today. Okay, so um, presenting all this stuff is not to be overwhelmed, but it's going to really help you understand. It's going to um, help you rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, we have to be trained on how to know what applies to us and what does not apply to us. Um, are there principles in script? Are there principles that applies to us in scripture? Yes, but we must be careful. Everything is not for us in the same way. Um, that's how we got a lot of error because uh, we think everything is in the Bible applies for applies to us. So we must grow in knowledge and in understanding. Okay. So we talked about last week the three ways the Bibles were um, the the books of the Bible were authorized. Well, as far as the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament. So if uh, when they were um, canonizing the scripture, remember can canonize means that it was a, um, a group of uh, faith community that authorized a list of scripture. So when they were choosing the different scriptures, um, they had to follow these guidelines. So through God himself. So if, if, if um, the scripture says, you know, God said right, or God said this, it instantly became authoritative. Um, it, it became authoritative through, through tradition when God called Samuel to be a priest, prophet, and a judge, and the faith community accepted it. So um, whatever God said to Samuel, it was authoritative, even through other spiritual leaders. If, if they said God said this, or it was written, or whatnot, that means that um, it was instantly canonized right then and there. So, and also the last one is technical. Throughout the editing phase from Ezra to Jesus times, who were called scribes, they were professional doctors of the scriptures and were in the process of making scriptures authoritative. Ezra took oral traditions, uh, along with uh, Ezra and Jeremiah and Daniel, they took oral traditions and put them into um, writing form, okay? 
So there are three circumstances. This is, this is in, your, in your book on page 13 that talks about the three circumstances that gave the rise to Old Testament canon. So this is, um, these are the reasons why um, the Old Testament um, canon um, were written. So the first one on page 13 is the crisis of the exile. Um, so this is a very um, significant occurrence um, and it caused scriptures to be, to be canonized. So um, what it means with exile is that you have to understand the um, Jewish history. So um, the historical situation which Babylon took Israel into captivity is known as Babylon exile. So when God formed Israel into a nation when they were in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, God always manifested his presence. So um, his, um, whenever they arrived, um, he manifested himself through the cloud by day and fire by night. Uh, when he arrived on, on Mount Sinai, his presence appeared on a mountain. Afterwards, he dwelled in the tabernacles and the holies of holies. And lastly, he, um, Solomon built God a house because his father David had too much blood on his hands to do so. God was always present with Israel. But during the Babylon exile, um, while God's presence was in Solomon's temple, the Babylonians destroyed it. And then at that point, God was no longer present with Israel. That was the crisis. Um, and God allowed Babel, uh, Israel to go into captivity due to their disobedience to God. And you see that a lot with, with Israel. Anytime they disobeyed God or just went on, they just, they were just ratchet. They just did whatever they wanted to do. God always turned over Israel to the hand of the enemy. So at this time in the Northern kingdom and Southern kingdom and Babylon and 56 BC, took the southern kingdom. So Jerusalem, the Holy Land, um, is, is broken up and at that time was broken up in northern southern kingdoms, okay? So in 586, um, Babylon took the southern kingdom and, uh, and, and Syria took, in um, 722, they took the northern kingdom. Um, so in 586, Babylonians destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem. So you can read about it in 2 Kings 25, okay? So I also listed um, the order of captivity for the Israelites. So first they were, they were taken by the Babylonians, and then later on in history, you see them being captive by um, the Persians. And then um, during the intertestamental period, you see them being captured by the Greeks, and then you see them under Roman control, okay? Uh, let me see here. So because of the, the crisis of the exile, what was going on with Israel it encouraged um, a lot of the scribes to put this in writing. Um, so like I said, 2 Kings 25 gives you an account of what was going on. So um, I, let me, let me, uh, let me stop here. Um, I know you guys heard of the King um, Josiah. Um, Josiah in 2 Kings um, 22, um, they were cleaning out the basement of the temple. His, well, you know, Josiah was a king. He was like eight years old when he became king. Um, so when they were cleaning out the temple, he had his servants go down to the basement um, of the temple and they stumbled across the book of the law. Um, you can read about that in 2 Kings 22. Um, because of their disobedience and worshiping of gods, 
um, God placed Israel um, in exile. Um, they believe that um, the books that King jo Josiah and his servants found was um, Deuteronomy and probably Exodus 21 through 26. Um, the children of Israel um, threw the book of Moses or the law to the side and it hasn't been read for over um, hundreds of years. So they, they stumbled upon it before the temple was destroyed. So I thought that was really um, interesting. Uh, let me see here. All right. Um, let's see here. If I can get to it. All right, cool. So um, let me go back here. Well, no, let's go here. So the growth, the growth of the canon. So um, during the time, like I said, when all that captivity was taking place, they had a lot of people write, writing it down. I didn't put this in the PowerPoint. Um, plus it's called the growth of the canon. But um, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they were prophets, and they wrote most of the Old Testament. Um, they had to write, you know, how Israel got here. So um, these uh, events happened way before Jeremiah and Ezekiel were even on the scene, though. So a lot of these stories that happened with Israel were passed down through oral tradition. Uh, you can read about that on page 14 of your book. Um, they believe they believe that they did both writing and editing of the Old Testament. So the books that we have now, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it was not titled like that by Moses. When they went back and edit the book, we're going to talk about that kind of later on when we talk about the Septuagint. So when they go back and edit the book, that's when they start adding the titles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and all that stuff. So Moses, he was just writing. He didn't have a title. This is Genesis, this is Exodus, or whatever. It was just, it was just writing. So that through editing, the editing process, that's how we got the books that we have um, today. And so when you read, um, when you look deeper in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, um, uh, you see that Moses is writing about his death. And so you may ask a question like, well, how did Moses write about his death? More than likely, um, one of the editors of the Bible, um, of the scriptures at that time, put that in there. Um, so, and also the book of Deuteronomy is kind of like out of order. And so um, when they were putting it together, they may not have put it in the order that, um, that Moses had it. Because more than likely, he might have wrote something and then put it to the side or something like that. And so a lot of the, the uh, writings that they had just weren't in order. So they were trying to put it in the best order that they could, but it was out of order. Um, so the canonical and deuter deuterocanonical books, um, this means that there's a second canon known as the apocryphal books. Um, many years later, they were considered to mean the, the, um, the hidden books. Um, so the traditions that constitute these books probably first circulated by word of mouth. Um, since Old Testament seemed to have its origin, origin in, in the oral culture, that's how they pass down stories and important things is through oral, oral culture. And remember the, the, the chart that I gave you all, let me see if I can get to it. The chart that I gave you all last week um, that talked about the, how the Bible was developed. And you see for a very long time, it was through oral tradition. They just passed it down, you know, centuries by 
century or what or whatnot and through writing through editing so with the um the apocrypha books these these are books that they claim that they don't have any authority um, because they were just kind of different. They didn't follow the the um, the uh, the three bullet points that I gave you all the criteria. Um, they didn't follow those criteria, so they they threw them um, to the side. Let me go back back to that one. Um, let me see here. So let me go here to this. Remember this chart from, from last week when we looked at the um, Old Testament canons. So you see on the, on the left, you see the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Old Testament um, has 24. Um, the Orthodox Bible has 53 and the Catholic has 46 and our Protestant have um, 39. And I said last week that um, more than likely, Jesus, he had the Orthodox Bible. Um, it is considered the, um, the, the Septuagint. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the Septuagint, okay? So the Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. So it's a term for 70. And you'll see abbreviated LXX. So when you're looking at commentary, you may see this kind of like in parentheses or in italicized. That means that they're referring back to the Septuagint scriptures, okay? Um, because it says it's produced in the third century BC by 70 or 72 translators. So it was 70, it was actually 72 translators. So in 270 uh, BC, um, they, they um, had um, six scribes or six, um, let me see, six translators from each tribe of Judah. They, um, let me read this, let me, let me not mess this up. So six men from each 12 tribes of, of, Ju of Judah, 72 in all, men deeply versed in both Hebrew and Greek were appointed. So you can find this actually in, in, on page 29 of your book. Um, it gives you more details of the Septuagint. Um, so the, one of the kings, a certain King Ptolemy, he wished to have copies of all the scriptures in the world. He was like, I want it all. Because they were just trying to decide, you know, this is authoritative. No, this is not authoritative. He's like, no. Um, give me six six translators of each tribe of Judah, and we're going to. I want. I want. I want them all. So um, he commissioned them, and then um, he had the complete works of the tran of the uh, translation. So uh, that's how you got the kind of the word Septuagint. It means seventy, but there were like seventy-two translators or whatnot. But that that terms Septuagint was coined kind of later on in history or whatnot. Um, so um, evidence that Jesus used the Septuagint, um, you'll see in John 10, 22, we talked about this last, last week because I was, I was opening up um, cans and uh, you guys were uh, so intrigued. So last week we talked about how um, in John 22, Jesus traveled to go celebrate the Feast of Dedication does anybody remember what the Feast of Dedication was that I talked about last week? Nobody remember Hanukkah. what? Say it again. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. 
Right. So Jesus traveled to go celebrate what we know as Hanukkah, which was only mentioned and established in the Septuagint. The book is called the first of Maccabees. So you see in John 10, 22, it says that the, at the time the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple of the portico of Solomon. Um, and so you can see in first Maccabees 4 and 59, it says, then Judas and his brothers and all of the assembly of Israel determined that every year at that season, the days of dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness for eight days, beginning with the 25th month of Keselev. So that's the example of the only way that Jesus would have known about the Feast of Dedication is through the Septuagint and the teachings at that time. Another suggestion that in the Septuagint, there are terms that are introduced in the New Testament that are not mentioned in the Old Testament. The word synagogue was not mentioned in the Old Testament. Remember, they just had temple. Um, but it was introduced in the apocryphal um, books. Greek religious leaders such as the Pharisees and Sadducees weren't even mentioned in the Old Testament, but they were introduced in the Apocrypha. So you could read about them in the book of Barak and Tobiah in the Apocrypha. Okay, and another point of evidence that Jesus used Septuagint is when Jesus came here on earth under the Roman Empire, the language was Greek. The Septuagint is the Greek version and is likely the version that was available to him but the Orthodox Old Testament was canonized around 90 AD by the Council of Jamnia. So that means Jesus was exposed to other books um, we as uh, Protestants um, do not know about. Okay. Uh, any questions about that before I move on to the next one? We are almost done. Just got one more point. Um, this might be slightly off topic and let me sure. know if it is but i have a book um called the mishnah okay and it talks a little bit about you know like the school of hillel and shammai and you know mm -hmm. some of that sadducees and, and pharisee stuff yes can you place that in historical context with all the stuff we've been looking at on the charts when sure um, I believe the Mishnah is one of the, um, it's like a Jewish commentary. Yes. Um, so, um, as far as the timeline, I can't remember where it falls in, into the timeline, but it wasn't exactly scripture. So it was just like, it was commentary, like the Talmud, yeah. like the Talmud is, is commentary of a lot of Jewish scholars and things like that. And they still use the Mishnah today. I, um, every now and then I will go to, um, just Messianic Jewish church and, um, uh, they would, they would read out of the Mishnah or point or reference the Mishnah or what, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So they, they still use it. So yeah, it's like Jewish commentary or whatnot, but I can't remember the, the time as far as the Mishnah and where that fell into. All right. Yeah, because I got the Maseret, but not the Mishnah. I'm going to have to research that or whatnot. But yes, that is another kind of writing that Jewish, um, that Jews use. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's very interesting um, as far as it their um, interpretation of scripture. is so different um, from our interpretation of scripture or yes. whatnot. So, yeah. Yep, it's a good tool just to kind of reference and read upon. Mm -hmm. Good, good, good. All right. 
The last thing that we're going to talk about is the Dead Sea Scrolls that I mentioned um, earlier today. So they were written during the time Jesus walked the earth, actually 100 years prior to Jesus. The common book that we know from Dead Sea Scrolls is the book of Enoch. So there is a 100% chance that the Jewish community read it um, because it was in the book, because in the book of Jude, he alludes to it. So Jude chapter one, verses 13 to 14, it says, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of the shame, wandering stars from who the deepest, darkest um, has been reserved forever. It was also about these, um, that Enoch in the seventh generation of Adam prophesied saying, see the Lord is coming with 10,000s of his holy ones. And so there is one more, yep, this is the last one. The last one, that you uh, will see is the book of wars. This is, this is mentioned in the book of uh, Numbers. Um, Moses, he referenced the book of wars. Um, let me see if I can, where did I put that? Oh, here it is, I'm back in my notes. Um, in the book of, and also it's alluded to in the book of Judges too. Um, the book of wars was apparently uh, contained an anthology of poems describing the victories over the, of the Lord over the enemies of Israel. So, um, but you can't even find the book of wars, but, but it was a book apparently that Moses read and that he knew about or whatnot. So, um, Let's see here. Um, even in the, they said, even in the book of wars that um, because it was, you know, referenced in the Torah, it had to be some type of like, you know, authority that, or something that wasn't of, of importance to, to Moses or whatnot. So just, I wanted to, the reason why I, I um, threw all these different books out there is just to kind of open up our minds to let us know that there are other books out there and the process that we talked about canonization of how they they chose from a, a book of um, a list of books and they just felt like well this is this is good we'll put that in there this is good or whatnot um, and so it's I think in, in your book on page uh, what is it uh, I think it's on page fourteen or fifteen it talks about how a lot of people think the the apocrypha were were books that were um that you know that the gnostic people um use and all that stuff and um oh yeah and one thing that in one of the books in, of maccabee maccabees it talks about you know praying to the dead and all that stuff and so that's how the catholic you know got purgatory and all that stuff and so i want for you to be mindful when you're when you're reading these books it's just read them for history's sake um this is not is yeah the the apocryphal is the genre is history so that doesn't mean it's giving you instructions on what you need to do or whatnot so it's just um fills in the gaps of history um like i said last week there's no such thing as a dark ages um because during that time you had a lot of things that were going on and you can read it in scripture um the putting together of of the septuagint happened during what we consider the dark ages 270 so it, it was it was during you know that time where a lot of things were taking place we just we just don't know we just haven't read it or whatnot so i encourage you just to um look at it but just be mindful that it's for history's sake okay
All right, I think that's all I had. Any questions concerning that? So we're good. Yeah, thanks for making that point about um, the apocryphal books to read them with the viewing them as historical. Yeah. They're not instructional, like this is how you should live or obey this as a commandment. Right. Yeah. 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 Like for, for, for any book, it's important to, to know the genre of the book or whatnot. Cause every book in the Bible is not written for instructions for the church. So you have to understand, um, you know, a lot of our instruction comes from the epistles. And even in that, we have to understand when Paul is directly talking to the Jews and, or he's talking to the church as a whole or whatnot. So, um, there's a lot of, you know, work to be done when we're looking at scripture. So that's why um, taking us down this path so um, we can, uh, you know, start rightly handling the word of, word of truth or whatnot. So this is just kind of the beginning. So we're going to kind of work our, our way up or whatnot. So I'm just slowly taking you all through this process or whatnot to really not just look at scripture and just read it and try to apply it or whatnot, but actually understanding, okay, well, the scripture here is, is talking to the Jews. This is what was going on. This is the time. This is uh, what was going on through during their time. And is there a principle for me to learn out of here? If it is, you know, what is it and all that stuff. So we're going to go through all that eventually. So, yep. Any other questions? or concerns. All right, cool beans. I went over eight minutes, darn. But um, I want you all to remember that you can get the notes in the Dropbox. You can go to the link that is um, in the family page to get all the documents. If you missed um, any of the weeks, you can go back and look at them. Also, um, the servant leaders class is gonna be up on the site as well. I just haven't had a chance to upload it. Um, I'm, do, I'm gonna do that tonight. Um, to upload it to the, the website as well. So if you missed the first class, it was, I mean, the second class, it was a really good class. So um, that will be available as well. So um, if you need printouts, let me know of these um, handouts. Um, I will print them out for you all. Um, if you want to start, like, start keeping a binder of all these charts and stuff, because when we're looking, when we're going to our next phase, the methods of Bible study, we're going to be using these charts again. So oh, I wanted to make sure that you have easy access instead of like clicking and trying to find a file. You can just have them in a book if you want to or whatnot. So, all right. Any other questions or any other comments? I would like a copy of the, um, of the documents. Okay. Yep. So, okay. Yep. I'll, um, I would too. I would too. All of a sudden, everybody want copies. I had copies of the church for weeks. No, um, no, at the church I have weeks one and two, so I'll make sure I'll, I'll print out weeks three and four for for you all too. So you could just see me in the booth because they're that's where I sit. So they're they're uh, usually sitting on the sound booth in a FedEx envelope. So I'll make sure to have weeks three and four as well. So for anybody who wants a copy, so all right. Cool beans. Cool beans.
All right. So um, anytime that you all have questions or concerns about, you know, what you're reading, even though this is a very light book, he throws out a lot of information. So that's why I'm really taking my time with it and expounding on things. Um, so you all can make sure you have an understanding of what he's talking about or whatnot. So if you have any questions, um, just let me know. Also, um, I said I was going to bring the apocryphal book and the De deuterocanonical and the pseudopigraphal books to church so you all can just flip through it and look at it. So I'll have that on Saturday um, sitting back with me as well. So you can just look through it anytime you want. So, all right. So, cool. All right, let's pray out. Father God, we thank you for this day. Ooh, we thank you, God, that you are God and you're a God alone. We thank you, oh God, for just expanding our minds, God, and allowing us to get closer to you by learning um, the process of how things were. We're learning about the progressive um, of your nature, God, the progressiveness of your nature, God. So I thank you, oh God, that um, we are in this dispensation where we can look back and learn and look back and grasp the principles of oh God and look back and just praise you and thank you for the process, oh God, um, for it is hard work to, um, to learn your word, God, but it's uh, work that we are willing to put in, Father. So God, I thank you, God, that you are um, heightening the taste buds of our, our members, that they want to know you more, that they want to taste more of you, that they want to see you more, God, that they want to um, hear from you more, oh God. And um, just like what we mentioned earlier about when we're going into warfare, that we know exactly what to pray, exactly what to say, so the enemy doesn't have an upper hand on us, oh God. Allow us, God, not to be ignorant um, of the devices of the, of the enemy, God. Um, allow us, God, to continue to, to, to know your word, continue to, um, to dwell in it, oh God and that we continue to encourage and lift one another up, God, um, and to help those who don't know it, oh God, and not to be a hoarder of the word and keeping things for ourselves, oh God, but to tell those who, who want to hear about um, your goodness and about your, um, about your word and about the, just your, your mind, just the mind of God. We thank you that you are allowing us to even take part of your mind and just to know your thoughts, oh God. It's just a, a, a centimeter, a quant centimeter of your, of your thoughts, oh God, for you are a great big God. And so we thank you for just allowing us just to come in, just to take part of this little bit, God. So increase our capacity for you, God. Increase our, um, our minds, increase our, um, our love, and increase our um, study time with you, oh God. So we give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a good night. Have a good night. Make sure I got Have everybody. Amen. Yep, we could do. So have a good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.